0: Hey, it's Miles, and you are listening to the Auburn Community Church Podcast. Normally, you hit play on this, and we jump straight into a sermon, but we wanted to take a second and invite everyone in our extended family into this season of generosity that we're stepping into as a church. We want to invite you. If you're a podcast listener, you follow along with what God has been doing through our church in this season please pray and consider whether or not God is calling you to give a financial gift above and beyond what you would normally give. It's no secret that this is a time of crazy expansion for our church as we're opening a new building and new locations and saying yes to missionaries and local ministries and ministry initiatives all over the place. And we want to invite you to participate in what God is doing through our church. This is by no means a burden or you have to give. This is a blessing and we feel like we get to give and you're invited into it. So whether that's on Venmo or on our website or reaching out about all the ways to give, maybe think about starting the discipline of giving weekly or monthly, even if that's just $5 or $10 or $15. We want to invite our people to invest into what God is doing through Auburn Community Church. We love you guys. Now enjoy this message.
1: Amen. Amen. Y'all can take a seat. Shine kids head out to study the word of God. I love that they're in here to worship and then head out to open the scriptures. Well, good morning to all of you. My name is Tyler. I'm our youth pastor here. So I get to work with our sixth through 12th graders. That's why I get so fired up about the Shine kids going and reading the word of God. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit easier to be the youth pastor of a church that equips children so well with the word of God. Um, I love our, our kids ministry here. It's incredibly powerful, but I was just struck um, even in Michael's prayer of, the concept of remaining in the Lord and just the foundation that Christ is to be for our life, and so I'm starting kind of, kind of chill because I know um, even just thinking as we we're singing that for myself that we are in maybe we're th- maybe you're through the busiest part of it, but we are in a very, very chaotic time of the year in general. Uh, much has been made about that. We talk about that. I think it's real for everybody. Um, we're all thinking about travel plans if you're doing that. Um, Christmas parties, I know kind of by this time we're through most of it, but it's good that we have a minute of stillness, of silence, of remembering that our life, if you, if you call this church home, if you claim Christ as your king, Our life, our foundation is all on Christ. And so as we come to the word of God and maybe you're new and you're like, I don't know if that's true of me. You're in town, you're already in town for the holidays and a family member brought you or a friend or something like that. Or maybe you're watching online and you're not sure about this Jesus thing. That's the name that we hold up because everything we do is built on him. Every claim that we have, everything I'm gonna say today is built on the blood of Jesus that we have access to. And so I just wanna invite you as we open the word of God today, lean in, come with expectation, God has something for you, and he knows your name, he knows your story, he knows whether you're feeling really good because you've gotten all the, re- the presents wrapped and everything prepared for next week, or maybe you're still in the chaos. He knows the trial, he knows the pain, he knows all of it. So come with expectation today, and let's lean in together. And so as we lean in, Christmas season, just a little bit about me, definitely my by far the best holiday, I don't, that's not really a debate, um, by far the best season, so much fun. Even as I'm starting to get a little bit of a glimpse, I'm not quite there, my kids are very young, Um, a little bit of the glimpse of how much crazier it is for parents. So I I hear you a little bit, I see that coming. I understand that would make it a little more challenging to just be the uh, free for all, everything's fun attitude that I've had for most of my life. But Christmas season is still an awesome time to remember. We've been talking about Advent, talking about the waiting and the expectation, going into even those verses that Miles read, the, the prophecies fulfilled after a long period of silence. But we get to reflect as believers on this side of history, knowing that Jesus has come. And so I heard a great line from somebody, I cannot remember who, otherwise I would give him credit, um, that every light of Christmas should be a liturgy. Meaning that every single thing we do, and we got one week left until Christmas, so I wanna encourage you with this. Every single Christmas light, movie, dessert, whatever it is, can become worship because we remember who, who it's about who it's truly about. And that's not really an angry like, oh, put the Christ back in Christmas, Merry Christmas, not happy holidays. Like if you're angry saying that, you're kind of missing the point of he is the Prince of Peace. Um, So maybe check your heart on that. You're saying something that is true, but maybe with the wrong motives. So let's check our hearts on that. But really all of it, if you have any parties left, everything with your family is an opportunity. Maybe you're dreading the time with extended family. All of it is an opportunity to point back to the one that all of history centers around and that is Jesus. And so that's why I get really fired up about Christmas. That's why if you saw pictures of a very wait Christmas that we had for our youth ministry, that lobby, I don't know the exact number of lights that we had in there, but it was something ridiculous. So, so sorry, Cheryl, if you see a bump on the power bill for that day, I wonder if they have it broken out because um, there were a lot of lights in there. But that's why I get so excited about it. That's why in this time I've had so much fun just listening as we've been in Luke this entire semester. But then we've gone back to the beginning of Luke to read, what does Luke have to say about the coming of Jesus, about the advent of Jesus? And he has one of the most detailed narratives in in the scriptures. And so we've we've kind of shifted from the invitation of Jesus, the invitation of Christmas in the season, which I think is so powerful. But as we open it, that's what I wanna invite you to today with the invitation of Christmas. As we open the word of God, I cannot make this, matter to you i cannot make this mean anything to you but the holy spirit can your heart towards what is being said has to be open to the word of god and so i just want to challenge you i get really fired up about christmas i love christmas the scripture we're going to read today leading into it the scripture we're going to read on christmas eve all of it gets me really fired up but i cannot make christmas matter to you So I just ask open and come with expectation. And so as we look to this story, as we've been in this whole semester, looking at these different invitations of Jesus throughout the gospel of Luke, we gotta remember a couple things about Luke that's really important to where we are at today. All of the gospels, they kind of take a little bit of a focus of Jesus, not that they don't emphasize the other things, but they emphasize a specific part of Jesus. So Luke is emphasizing the humanity of Jesus. That's one of the major reasons that he has one of the most detailed birth narratives. Humans are born and we got to know how that works. That's important for the story of who Jesus is. So Luke focuses a lot on that. As we've seen through this entire semester, but specifically the last couple weeks through the, the last couple messages as we've shifted into the Christmas season, Luke paints the picture of Jesus coming and working through the lens of specific people's circumstances and hopes. You've heard in the last couple of weeks with the messages that have been preached that God is, is working these eternal promises through personal stories of individual people on this earth. We're, we're in the story of John the Baptist and Zechariah, and we focused on Mary. We're gonna, we're gonna actually close out Zechariah's story today, but we have to remember that as God is working this grand story, he uses us, he uses individual people, he uses our circumstances, our pains, our hurts, not because it's about us, it's him, it's his story, but he uses us to be part of the story. There's nothing greater than that, than actually having purpose. There is one story that's being told throughout all of history. If you want the headline, it's right there on the wall. It's Jesus wins. There is no greater life to be found. And I'll just say this clearly, if you're not in Jesus to you, there is no life to be found outside of participating in that story. It's an honor to be even, I've heard somebody say, a lot of people like to emphasize this. It's an honor to even be a footnote in that story. And so in obscurity, in whatever, awkward, tense family situations you walk into, you have an opportunity to be part of the story this Christmas. You have an opportunity to be part of the story because that's how our God works. He's eternal, he's infinite, but he works through finite, broken people. That's, that's what we've been seeing through this series. And so as we turn to the word of God today, have that perspective in mind. God knows the story and you're part of it. And so I'll go ahead and give you the title if you're a note taker. The title of this message is God Sees You. God sees you. We just stop right there? Because if you grasp the truth of that, it could really impact you whatever season you're in right now. The God of the universe, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the one who placed all the stars in the sky, knows the name of every person and every creature to have ever exist. The one who reigns on the throne that we were just singing about, who reigns over all eternity, sees you today, right now. Sitting in your seat, like feel that for a second. Feel yourself sitting in your seat, feet on the ground, breathing, right where we're at, the God of the universe sees you right now. So that's the title. Let's turn, if you will, to Luke 1 with me. Luke 1, we're going to skip the Bible drill today. We'll we'll maybe come back to that Christmas Eve. I was going to bring up some unpopular opinions of certain people on our staff with Christmas movies, but I decided that would be too divisive today, so we're not going to do that. Some interesting opinions. Listen, whatever makes you celebrate the season, go for it if it's honoring to the Lord. Luke 1, we're gonna start in verse 57. So we really have... Not accidentally, but we we didn't plan on this before the season, but it's kind of worked out that way really well. We've kind of sequentially just gone through the first chapter of Luke. Very, very long. That's okay. They didn't have chapter breaks when they originally wrote it. We kind of put that in there thematically, so not the end of the world. Um, They had section breaks, but we, we kind of break it up sometimes in different ways. But a very long chapter we've kind of worked our way through. So a little bit of the backdrop. Miles mentioned this at the beginning. God had been speaking to Israel, his chosen people, for a very, very, very long time. He'd been working through this story of redemption with them, through their ups and downs and pains, through the exile, he continues to speak as they come back from the exile. And then all of a sudden, what seems like, I like the word that Miles used at the beginning, it almost seems like apathy of God. There's a period of silence of, not that he wasn't working, but we don't have scripture recording. Here's what God was specifically saying to his people. It's almost as if God said, I've said what I need to say, wait for the Messiah, he's coming. And then his people were waiting expectantly. They had a lot of ups and downs and different things through there, but then bursting onto the scene, this is the story that we're reading. And so um, Gage actually opened the story with the first person that God spoke to after this long period of silence was a priest named Zechariah. Him and his wife were old, childless, they had been praying for that for years. They had in essence given up hope. We can see that through Zechariah doubting Gabriel when Gabriel said she's gonna conceive and have a child. And we see this child to be the John, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Elijah coming to prepare the way for the Lord. So Gabriel puts this in front of Zechariah saying, hey, everything you've hoped for both personally, again, personally and eternally, You've been hoping for the Messiah and you've been hoping for a child. Both are happening right now because you're having a child, a miraculous child to prepare the way for the Lord. And so then we see another, the angel comes to Mary and says, you are going to carry the Messiah and her response of faith in the light of favor of God and the way that she sings and ex- exalts God through that. It's actually um, called the Magnificat. That's the Latin for it. Some people pray it as a prayer. It's a beautiful prayer if you want to kind of put that in a rhythm during Advent. It's a cool, cool prayer to pray. Um, and so she glorifies God. She has this interaction with Elizabeth where John the Baptist jumps in her womb because he knows he hears Mary's voice because he knows she's carrying the Messiah. Even as a baby, that's kind of crazy. Even, even as an a fetus, not a yet born baby. That's pretty insane. And so we pick up here, the time has come for Elizabeth to have this child. And let's read in verse 57. Luke 1:57. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had magnified his mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah but his mother spoke up and said, no, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all of these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. So, a couple details kind of pop out right at the beginning. Magnified is, is a way to translate that first verse, connecting it to the praise of Mary right there. We see people rejoicing with Elizabeth when she had to, came time to bear this baby, and we see that people are. Wondering, is this baby's born? Oh, what's, what is the Lord gonna do? Because clearly the Lord's doing something with him. Both of those are specific details that Gabriel promised to Zechariah being fulfilled right there in this passage. We see the circumcision happening seven to 10 days after birth. It's eight right here. That's pretty normal for the Jewish people. They waited seven to 10 days. What's interesting though, is that they waited to name the baby. It's not super uncommon. That had been more of a a, a Greek, a Hellenistic practice. Unfortunately, because of infant mortality, they waited a few days to name the baby to kind of see if they would survive. But historically, that had not really been a Jewish practice. They waited the seven to 10 days to circumcise their sons, but they generally named the baby early on. And so as we see this, there's supposed to be some tension there. There's supposed to be something that we recognize of, okay, Zechariah and Elizabeth have struggled. Zechariah doubted. So he was struck mute. And we actually think he was, deaf and mute because they made signs to him. Like if they, you know, if he could hear, they'd just be like Zechariah. And then he would ride it out. So on the tablet, we think he was deaf and mute. So like, not only was he silent, but the world was silent to him. He couldn't hear anything. It seems to me based on these details, that they're still struggling with parts of what Gabriel had said. Yes. It's, it's amazing. Like th- we're having this baby, this baby has been born but almost there's this hesitation, do we really have to name him John? And you see why, there's family traditions, history traditions, that's a big deal to the Jewish people. Where you came from, your names, they didn't have last names, so this isn't like a carrying on the family name, but it's really weird, especially for a person of the priesthood to kind of go outside the family. So as, as Elizabeth says this, everybody's like, um, you're doing what now? You're not naming him after his father. You're not even using any of the family names. So a little bit of offense at breaking of traditions. I'll just use this moment to step in there as a um, young adult. I, as a child, loved my family's traditions, loved the fact that we spent every single Christmas at one of my grandparents' house. Thank you, mom and dad, for um, being willing to do that because I know that was challenging for you at times and very fun for the kids. We rioted one time where they said, we're just gonna do it at home. Family traditions are amazing. Uh, young adults that are becoming adults, and you're kind of processing through that with your parents, have patience and have grace for your parents, but boundaries are okay. Older parents, give grace to your kids. They're trying to learn how to do this. So with Christmas traditions, let's just all have patience with each other. We're all on the same team, even if it doesn't look how we want it to look. But in this story, we see them struggling. I really do think they are struggling with like, okay, the baby's here, but like there's a step they have to take. There's a willingness they have to have. There's a step of obedience they have to have in response to, the prayer's been answered. John the Baptist has been there. Like he's been born, he's been around for eight days. And another interesting detail is Zechariah still cannot talk or hear. Now, when I read it, I'm thinking, okay, the baby's been born. Like if I'm Zechariah, I'm like, the baby's been born, what's the deal? Why can't I speak? That's what Gabriel said. When these things are fulfilled, then you'll be able to talk. So it seems anytime there's a a kind of question you have or something doesn't doesn't line up right in scripture, that's generally the Holy Spirit being like ask questions about this. And so it seems that as they have this hesitation, they've waited longer than maybe normal to name this child. Zechariah is still struggling with like, "I I can't speak or hear. It seems to me that there's something that Zechariah and Elizabeth have to step into for this promise to be fulfilled that had been given to them. The baby's there, but that's not the whole promise. Gabriel said, the baby's gonna come. People are gonna rejoice with you. He's gonna prepare the way for the Lord. Everybody's gonna kind of be freaking out because God's clearly gonna be with him. And you will name him John and he will go in the power of, in the spirit of Elijah. That's a reference to a prophecy in Malachi four. So there's a step that Gabriel told them they were going to have to take. You in faith will have to name this baby, something that is not expected. You're gonna have to name him John, which means God is gracious. You're gonna have to proclaim the name of our God in response to the fulfillment of this promise to you. And then it says immediately, as soon as Zechariah writes, his name is. Notice that's emphatic, because the normal way of saying it in Greek is what Elizabeth said. He's gonna be called John, his name will be called John. That's a normal way of saying it. Zechariah uses a very emphatic, he is John. He is the testament to the fact that God is gracious through the silence. He is the testament that God has been working in my story and in our story. And so it seems to me that sometimes in our period of silence, in our period of struggle, we sometimes are like, God, it seems like you won't answer. God, it seems like you've given an answer, but I don't really know if if I need to step into that. Maybe you're praying about the next season or a specific question or different things like that. Could it be that God is waiting for you to take a step of obedience to see that he's actually fulfilled what he promised to you? How often do we pray for things and we kind of struggle with the answer? I have a friend who says like his biggest pet peeve, and it's funny because him and I have personally struggled with this, that's why it's a pet peeve of his, is when he's been praying for something and he won't accept the answer that God's given him. So is there a situation in your life, a season that you've been in, maybe a season of pain and of struggle, where you're like, God, I don't see this ending. Zechariah's still not able to talk, but what it took, there is an active step of obedience that fulfilled that season. And so I'm not saying that we can suddenly end all the pain that we're in. And if you just do the right thing or pray the right prayer, that's not what I'm saying. But could it be that there is some, there are some people, some of us in here today, where God is saying, I have answered and I've shown you the step you need to take. Here's how you step into the next season of faithfulness. So that's just a little detail that stuck out to me that I wanted to share with y'all. And so God allows us to participate in this process. I read a, a line. I'm just going to read this out. Zechariah pictures one who learns his lesson. So there's There was a little bit of a judgment of you didn't believe, so you're gonna be silent, but he learned his lesson through the silence, nine months, and he submits in trust to God's promise. His period of pain and reflection led him to realize that God does what he says. And so now we're gonna go to what Zechariah says. Remember, we really do think he has not been able to speak, nor has he been able to hear for nine months. That's a long time. I want you to legitimately think about that for yourself. Maybe some of you, a little more introverted, a little more quiet, you're like. Wouldn't be the end of the world to not be able to hear anybody for nine months. (laughs) I'm okay with the not speaking, but um, I'd be fine not hearing anybody. Maybe that's some of you. Um, Not me. Uh, I would have quite a lot to say after nine months. (laughs) There's There's a Friends episode where Chandler's trying to not make fun of everybody and then he can't do it. And so by the end, he just spews out stuff. That's what I imagine it would be if I couldn't speak for nine months. By the end, I'd be like, all right, listen. I know I've been able to hear everybody, but here's all the thoughts that I have right now. And so we see Zechariah, Luke records Zechariah's first words. Again, after nine months, nine months, I, I would be thankful that God was giving me a baby, but I'd be like, really? The first person you're gonna speak to, after 400 years, you're not gonna let me talk for nine months? Like, you're not gonna let me rejoice in this? So I'd have some struggle, I'd have some pain And so let's read Zechariah's response. Notice it says, you know, his mouth was open and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. There's a little interlude talking about the neighbors and how everybody's responding. But then verse 67 kicks us off into when he started praising, as soon as his tongue was open, he said, his name is John. And this is what he said right after it, verse 67. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Horn of salvation just symbolized strength of a king. So he's raising up this king of David that was promised. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father, Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. That's kind of the first half. That's a, a pretty much direct structure of a praise psalm, like from the book of Psalms, but that's just Zechariah speaking that out by the spirit. And then it shifts to kind of the prophecy talking about John the Baptist and then Jesus. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And here's where it shifts to talking about Jesus. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the dawn will come to us from on high to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So we have that dynamic. We have this praise and then this speaking out of future truths based on the promises of God. There's an interesting setup there and this kind of ties into the title of this sermon, God Sees You. So if you think about it, main way of communication, right, is by speaking. The main way that anybody communicates to you is you hear what they say. Zechariah's not had either of those we believe for nine months. So the main way he's been receiving input into the world is visually. All he's been able to do is see people, to see their reactions, not been able to hear, not been able to speak into that. He's just been watching. So there's a, a, a limited amount of his presence that he's been able to give. He hasn't been fully present in that he can't speak and talk, so he hasn't been able to, to put forth himself to engage himself the way that he normally would. But he's been there the whole time. He's been watching, he's been seeing. He's been seeing Elizabeth's belly grow and grow and grow. He's been seeing the promises fulfilled, even in the silence. And so we see this picture, there's this, there's this word right there in verse 68, It's your translation probably says, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. it's a long Greek verb that connects actually to another Greek noun that means overseer other places in the New Testament. But I'm just gonna read some of the dictionary definitions of this verb for us. So basically to come to us, another way to say it is to make a careful inspection, look at, examine, inspect. To go to see a person with helpful intent, visit. To exercise oversight in behalf of, look after, to make an appearance, to help. The first thing that Zechariah says, proclaims after nine months of silence is God has seen us. Nine months, all he's been able to do is is see. And he says, in the silence, in my pain personally and our pain collectively of these 400 years, God has not been absent, he has seen us through it all. God has now come to us. He's fulfilling these prophecies of old. And so, as we step into this, I really want us to connect with this idea of the silence that Zechariah is in, because I think that's where our story starts to connect. Uh, unless God does something crazy, I don't think he's going to have any of us be the parents of John the Baptist or Jesus. So, we're not going to directly connect to Zechariah, but what we need to see is that we all have periods and maybe are in periods of silence, whether personally or from God. Remember, God has not spoken and not been active in the way that he previously had been to Israel for 400 years, that is quite a long time. If you're like me, I think for most of us, nine months of silence, both input and output silence, is a long period of silence and struggle. Like that's nothing happening for you, input, output, when it comes to engaging with the world around you, silence. And so for us, I don't think anybody in here has been struck mute and deaf by the Lord, but I think we all have seasons of trial. I think this season of Christmas brings up a lot of the wounds and the pains that honestly, we probably still have scars from because we didn't understand, and we still don't understand what God was doing through that. Maybe if you're listening today that as soon as I started talking about the silence, about this trial, remember, Zechariah learned something through this trial. So there's value to be had. God caused his silence, but he doesn't cause all the pain that we experience. Maybe as soon as I started talking, you know the trial that God is speaking to you about right now. There's a lot of times that this pain goes on and on. We've been talking about fulfilled promises of of families having kids and different things like that. There are some seasons that go on longer than we want them to and we're in the pain and in the silence. Maybe there's not a specific trial for you this morning. Maybe you just haven't really heard the voice of the Lord in a long time. Maybe you're like, I've been doing, you know, this whole season, I've been going, going, going. I show up at church, I do community group, I do all the things, but I don't feel that personal connection. I wanna know my God because I know he knows me. Maybe that's you today. Maybe there's been a silence of my soul yearns to experience God in a real way. Maybe there's some numbness that's been happening. Maybe you're here and you don't know the Lord at all. And you're like, God has been silent my whole life. There is nothing in that for me. Well, I wanna speak to those stories because at at some point, maybe you're not in it this morning, we are all going to be in the silence. We're gonna all be in the struggle, in the trial, in the pain. And so what do we see Zechariah doing? What can we see from this passage to take into those periods of silence with us? I got two things. And the first of it is, is just an encouragement and we have to let this sink deeply into our soul. God sees you in the silence. He sees you in the silence. He sees you in the pain that you're in. He sees you in the distance that maybe you've created from the Lord because you know you haven't been doing the things that you should. Whatever that looks like for you, God sees you in that silence and you have to believe. And this is what Zechariah, remember, Zechariah was silent the whole time, but he wasn't absent from the story. God was silent for 400 years, but his silence does not mean his absence. His silence in your life does not mean he is absent from your life. The pain, the struggle, the trial that you're in does not mean he is not working in your life. We are limited people with limited vision and we, always, we cannot always see what God is doing. And sometimes there's an intentional pulling back from God similar to those 400 years where we don't see him working, but the promise of scripture fulfilled throughout the ages. And we're gonna go to some of the very long standing promises of God that Zechariah is proclaiming fulfilled here. The evidence, the structure, the character of our God is that he is working even when you don't see him. Maybe you have been praying a prayer for years and it is not answered. God is not not there. He is seeing you. He sees you in that pain and there's something happening more than what you can see. So we have to almost preach to ourselves sometimes and we have to ask the Holy Spirit to affirm this to us that God sees you in the silence. 400 years, interesting that the first person to hear from God was in silent for nine months that was me, I'd be like, really? You got to just add on to the silence? Can I tell people about this? But notice what Zechariah says in his initial praise. He doesn't say praise God because he's given me a child. He doesn't say praise God because he's taken away the disgrace of my family. He starts praising God for fulfilling promises to other people. He's praising God, fulfilling promises to David and Abraham, who had lived thousands of years before Zechariah. Do you see what's happening here? Our God is a God that promises things, that moves in the personal stories, but he has a long-standing plan that we are a part of. He is faithful, and he sees us even when we do not experience that. And so what are some of these promises? We see... Um, promises to David and Abraham. We have to trust who our God is even in the silence. And so 72 and 78 show mercy. That is a very, very rich theological word. Back to the Hebrew, the Hebrew is hesed. That is the foundation of God's character and his covenants with every person that he has promised things to throughout the Old Testament. Exodus 34, 2 Samuel 7, two very significant moments. Exodus 34, God proclaims his name to Moses and says, everything I am promising you, the basis of my character, the basis of my my disposition towards you is based on this loyal covenant love. Again, the Hebrew word is hesed. When he promises David, there is going to be a king that will reign forever and ever. His kingdom will not end. That is based on my love for you, not your love for me, not your actions for me, but my love for you. So he has seen through these promises of ages and ages and ages, he has seen his people the entire time. Also, that word seen is how, we, how God talks about seeing his people in pain in Egypt. I saw them in their affliction. Lord, you saw us in our slavery and our bondage. He sees you. The prophet fulfilled, John the Baptist, connecting back to that Malachi verse, verse 77. It's a weird, if, you, if you've been studying the Old Testament, it's an interesting line that Zechariah prophesies right there. Um, to give his people a knowledge of the self of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, connecting back to the new covenant promise in Jeremiah 31. We see in verse 78, the Messiah's promise. It's an interesting, I read the dawn will come to us from on high, you might have rising sun, you might have light. There's an intentional double entendre there of both the light and this idea of the branch or root that connects us to roughly 15 or more prophecies about the Messiah. So we see God has promised things to Abraham and David They proclaimed his faithfulness, even though the promises made to them weren't gonna be fulfilled in their lifetime. And through the period between them and Zechariah, God has kept promising, kept promising, the Messiah is coming, I am still working. Even in this perceived silence, God sees us. God saw his people and God sees you where you're at today. God was silent for 400 years, but it seems, and this is how we talk about it, this is how we have to see it based on Zechariah's heart. God was doing a work in the heart of his people. John the Baptist came proclaiming, prepare the way for the Lord, but hearts had to be prepared before that. The nine months of silence, Zechariah's initial response is likely going to be primarily about him and his wife having a child. But through the trial and the judgment and the silence, what he comes out of that struggle proclaiming is the goodness of God because he's fulfilling the promises. And so there's a work that's happening in you that you have to believe is happening even when you do not see it working, God sees you in the silence. And so in that, I just sit there and think, and I, I've, in the seasons where I've been in the silence, this has kind of been my response. Maybe I can get myself to believe that God sees me. Maybe I can get myself to believe that there is a purpose for what I am going through. Maybe I can get myself to believe that he is working all things for my good and his glory. But at the end of the day, generally my heart, even if I get to that point of believing that you see me, God, in this struggle and this pain, what my heart is longing for, the, what the real cry of my heart is, God, I know you see me, I wanna see you. And so in this pain and this struggle, a lot of times we don't truly believe that God sees us. We might know it up here, but to believe it in faith, we really wanna see, that God, that see God so that we know he's working in us. And so this is where we transition to the point number two, silence, whatever that looks like for you, is your invitation to seek him. Silence is your invitation to seek him. Zechariah was the person to whom the culmination of all the ages had come. We see in the New Testament talking about when the appointed time had come, when the fullness of time had come. Zechariah was the one chosen to announce this truth, the first person to hear about it. And he was found faithful, he was found seeking, he was found doing his job in the temple, faithfully offering up the prayers, even though they had gone unanswered in his perspective for hundreds of years. In the silence, your responsibility, my responsibility, our response as the people of God is to seek him, is to seek his face. Since we are his, our response must be to seek him because we know who our God is. So here's some scripture, Psalm nine, nine through 10. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. You might be struggling, you might be feeling the pain of missing loved ones, of still struggling through a season of unanswered prayers. And it says, those who know your name, trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Have never forsaken those who seek you. If you're in the trial today, James 1, 2 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything." There's something that starts to happen. There's something that starts to move in our hearts that pull us into the purposes of God and actually lead us to proclaiming his faithfulness more on the back end. Not because he's fulfilled what he promised to us, but because of who he is. Because at the end of the day, God's promises to us, the point of the silence is not that God is good because he fulfills the things that he says. He is good because of those things. But the point is that we would be drawn deeper into relationship with him because it's not about the gifts, it's about the giver. And so wherever you're at today, the point, the the way that we seek after God is not that he would end the season of silence, it's that we would see his face in the silence. Because at the end of the day, we do not know and we are not guaranteed that the silence, the pain, the struggle will end how we want it to end. We are not guaranteed that it's going to resolve the way we want it to resolve, but in hope, we pursue the God that we follow because of who he is. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is working in your life. He is doing something in the trial that you're in right now or the trial that you will be in that is better for you than what you can see. He sees you and your response to that must be to seek him. Hebrews 11:6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of righteousness and all this will be added. We don't know what that looks like here, but we do know it's better than our way. We do know it's better than just getting whatever we want right now, because truthfully, just getting whatever we want here, ask any person who has had the resources to get whatever they want. Start with Solomon in the Bible. Just getting what you want over and over just creates a bigger hole in your heart. And your desire, honestly, of whatever trial you're in is probably good. You probably see, God, this would be a glorifying to you solution to this season of silence but it's almost as if if you ever seen the back of one of those kind of woven blankets, kind of like a tapestry, we see the backside. We see this picture of all these tangled wires and cords and and it's a totally distorted picture. And we're like, God, it really makes sense if this blue line and this blue line start coming together. That seems like it would look good and would work for you and will work for me. God sees the other side of the blanket, the other side of the tapestry. He sees the the whole picture throughout all of history. Our God is a God, no matter how distant you feel from him. He is a God that is drawing your story, my story. Us, just believers in 2022, about to be 2023, long years removed from Zechariah. He is weaving our lives into this story because he is that good. So you have to trust what he's doing. You have to seek him in the silence. We can trust him because he sees us even in the trial. And so I just have a short story kind of to close us Today. Um, I recently, my wife and I just welcomed our second child, Eliana Zion Miller, into the family. I should have gotten a picture. Maybe we'll have that for the second one. She's incredibly cute, amazing. Um, praise the Lord that He's answered some of our prayers in the way that she sleeps, um, which, as you parents know, is a huge blessing. Um, it's a little bit different the second time. Not that all babies are the same, but you know a little bit of what to expect. So, at least for Ann and I, there was a lot less. Um, we didn't feel stressed or anxious the first time but then looking back we're like wow you were really stressed and anxious during that whole thing you could barely fall asleep you know every five minutes is Maverick still breathing that kind of thing Um, if you've been there as parents you know what I'm talking about but second one a little less we're like okay we kind of know the rhythms we know what to look for she's going to be a little bit different all good so we had her um, November 4th and then we came home and for about two weeks we were kind of blown away we'll say by the faithfulness of God we were like we feel at peace, she feels peaceful even when she's struggling a little bit. We had a little bit of questions about she needed to gain some more weight. We had a little stress, but we really felt like God's presence was just kind of heavy on our house and heavy on us to the point that weirdly, like we felt rested coming out of that, which is not a time that you generally feel rested the first two weeks of having a newborn. But we felt like man, God is working, we're at peace, we're hearing his voice, we're responding faithfully, like this is awesome, Lord. Thank you for this blessing that this child is to us. All children are a blessing, but at moments at 4 a.m., you struggle to see it that way. But we really felt like, man, Lord, you are so faithful in this. And so we kind of felt like God was working, this was awesome. And then Saturday before Thanksgiving, Anne wakes me up at 4 a.m., she had gotten up to feed her. And she's like, I think she has a fever, so we check it out. and. We take it a few times because I didn't really wanna believe it, but she had a very, very high fever, which for a newborn is an emergency situation. So we were like, dang it, okay. So we pack up a few things, we go to the ER. On the way to the ER, we're just praying, Lord, give us the right nurses, give us the right doctors. We really don't wanna be here. So we're, we're now that stress is coming back. Now we're kind of freaking out a little bit. We're like, okay, this clearly isn't supposed to be happening. She's probably okay, but like, it could be something bad. Like there's a reason that they call it an emergency for a newborn. I also just all medical things in general give me just general anxiety because it just stresses me out has always done that So thank you deeply if you are a medical professional because I don't know what we would do without you I don't know what I would do without you Um, So we get there and and they're immediately like we're gonna have to run all these tests You guys are gonna be here for a while because we have to figure out what this is with a newborn They're concerned about certain viruses and diseases and bacteria infections that they just don't have an immunity for so they start you know, she's crying, she's freaking out. They start having to like take, take a lot of blood from her arm. They put her on an IV. She's in this little pitiful, like cast because they have to hold it down, you know, for an infant. It's so small and just all this stuff, they start doing heel pricks and just urine samples, just everything that you can think of. And Anne and I are just, we're in the ER room. ER room, never fun to be in, just if you haven't been there. Not a fun place to be. It's like even more uncomfortable than a general hospital room is, which is just at, at its best, very uncomfortable. Um, so we're sitting there super uncomfortable, kind of starting to get stressed and just really like, Lord, what is happening? And so those emotions just spiral throughout the day. At first we thought we were gonna be there for three hours. Then we thought we were gonna be there for eight. And then we're like, okay, we're gonna be here for at least a day or two. And so we kind of start settling in. and goes home to take a nap and just that whole afternoon, I'll be honest with you all. Like I am basically just telling God, I cannot do this. I can't handle seeing my child in pain and not know what's going on. I can't handle the thoughts that are spiraling. Terrible idea, I got a call from the pediatrician. They're like, hey, you know, first tests are coming back. Most things are looking good. She does have this high white blood cell count. Indicator could be if something's bad, we're gonna do more tests to see. Horrible call to get. I'm there trying to not stress Ann out. So I do the best option possible, which is start Googling things. Always a great option. I tell myself, don't do this, but I'm like, you know what? In control, like I'm gonna fix it. I really just need to figure it out because you know, of course I know more than the medical professionals in this situation. So I'm really just stressing myself out. and gets back and we're kind of freaking out. And we're just like, this is, this is overwhelming. Like we have no control of the situation. God, you have to do something. I don't know how people have gone through medical emergency and losing children before. But in that moment, that was where my mind was at. I was like, God, I don't know how people have done this, but I can't do it. That's what I kept saying to him. That's pretty much the only prayer I had all day was God, I can't do this. God, I can't do this. And then slowly at the end of the day, Anne's like, you know what? We're gonna be okay. We still didn't know at this point what it was. It ended up just being a a couple uh, common colds that had caused some other problems, but she's healthy, fine now. She honestly was feeling better like 24 hours into being in the hospital. So she's fine. But in that moment, Anne's like, you know what? We, We don't know what it is. We're not gonna be able to figure out what it is. They're gonna have to tell us what it is. So we sat there and we're like, why don't we just start recounting what God has done? The one prayer we've prayed is God, give us the right people. We start looking back and we realize... Chris Mills that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, he was actually our ER doctor. Went to ACC, said, hey, I got baptized. That was, I, I might've had a panic attack if he hadn't said that in the ER. He tells us later, he came to see us before he got off. He tells us later that most ER nurses kind of struggle putting the IV in, in a newborn because they're so small. And he's like, most of the time they have to stick them a couple of times and then send them up to pediatrics anyway. He's like the one nurse I trust to put IVs in babies. She was there and she put it in Eli first time, hit it like, Just little things like that over and over and over. Little moments and little pieces of God speaking to us. And we're like, okay, you know what, God? In all of this, I still don't get what you're doing, but I know that you see me. That's the only answer I felt like God was saying to me was I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. And then in just the smallest moment, this is like not even a dramatic story, but in the smallest moment, Anne and I are like, okay, let's take a nap, let's go to sleep. It's like nine o'clock, we're in the hospital room. And we're like, okay, should we just like watch a show? That kind of thing. And we're like, you know what? No. If we numb out and just kind of watch Netflix or whatever it is, we're not gonna be in a good place after that. So we've been rewatching The Chosen, which by the way, if you haven't watched it, you absolutely need to. It's not one of the cheesy Christian things. And if you watch it and you don't cry during an episode, you either weren't paying attention or you need to know the Bible better. That's just my pitch for that. So we're like, okay, let's watch The Chosen. We've been rewatching because we wanted to watch the two seasons before season three came out. So we just click, a random spot. We're in the middle of an episode. It is what it is. Um, a character is talking with his wife. They're just kind of talking, okay, let's go back home, all this stuff. And they start talking about his grandmother randomly. I don't even think she's in the Bible. Like it's, don't know who this person is. So just made up kind of for the show. And his wife goes to this character and is like, do you remember that stitching she had above her bathroom? And he's like, oh yeah, Adonai L. Roy, which is a reference to Hagar in Genesis, where Hagar proclaims, you are the God who sees me smallest thing in the world, I immediately hit stop and I start sobbing. Smallest moment, literally instantaneous, so random, could be a coincidence of God saying, I see you. In that instance, we got a, a tiny moment of strength of seeing God's face that took us through the rest of, again, not even that serious of a trial, but a, a trial nonetheless. We don't need to compare trials, but. Wherever you are today, when we seek God's face, we could have, and I did that afternoon, was seeking control all afternoon, trying to figure out what it was. As soon as we stopped and sought God's face, smallest moment. And he's not always gonna work that way and it's not always gonna be as clear as that. But the more, Jesus said, the sheep know my voice. So the more that we pursue him, the more we're gonna hear him speak to us. The more we're gonna see him showing us just little bits of strength to get through the trial. You hear stories of countless believers who are in life-ending illnesses, going into those hospital rooms, being way more of a light than they are in, in the darkness. They're going into those things full of hope. Why? Because they've been seeking the face of their God because of who he is, not because of the situation they're in. And so as we close today, even when the silence doesn't end, your response in the silence might determine the level to which you see God moving. He is moving in the silence. He is moving in your pain, but your response might determine the level to which you see him. And so if you're struggling, I'm just gonna read back kind of the verses that that Miles kicked us off with. Isaiah 9, six through seven. So as we have a week till Christmas, Christmas changed everything. Lynchpin of human history, only belief system that our God came to us. And so we look to the names of our God to give us strength through the trial. So I wanna encourage you, we're gonna do communion right now. If you have those under your seat, go ahead and grab them. If not, raise your hand. Somebody on our team will bring them to you. Looking back to the sacrifice of Jesus, not just because it's like, oh, that's a thing that we do. No, no, no. As we take the elements, the bread and the wine, the grape juice, the bread, cracker, cracker and grape juice. As you take the cracker and grape juice, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus because he is our wonderful counselor. He is our Prince of Peace. And so when you feel isolated and alone, he is your wonderful counselor. He's in the silence with you. He sees you through it. Your call is to seek his face. He is the Prince, the administrator of peace. In the anxiety, in the darkness, he can give you a peace. We need to seek his face. So wherever that is for you, my prayer is that that lands, that we would be encouraged to seek him in the silence. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that as we pursue you, Father, we don't always get the answer. We don't always see you in the timing that we wanna see you. It doesn't always look the way that we want it to look, but Father, would you sink this truth deeply in our souls that you see us in the silence, that you see us in the pain And Father, for those that are hurting and brokenhearted in this room and watching online right now, would they feel a touch of your hand, a glimpse of your spirit, a slight move in their heart to give them hope and strength because Christmas is our standing reminder that you came for us and you are coming back for us. You will wipe away every tear and there will be no more mourning and no more death. So Father, as this song is sung over us in this time, will we believe your truth? that you are who you say you are and that you see us in the silence. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. Reflect in this moment. Let this song be sung over you and then we'll call to worship together.